he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bellata 5, the one and only podcast about event entertainment and engagement. I'm your host, Anthony Bellata, and I'm here with my Bellata file, Alex Apostolidis. Hey, Alex, <laughs> how you feeling today? Hello. Good. I'm a little, I'm a little tired. Um, I got my first shot, my first dose on Saturday. Oh, you did. Yeah. So you're feeling a little under the... Uh... It's, you know, I feel fine, but it's knocked me. I'm going to say that. I'm like, I I could probably take a nap right now. Wow, I won't. That... I'll wait till after. But... Yes, that, that would be very nice of you to do so. If you could just hold off. <laughs> just a but few minutes. We are all, the whole fam now. Billy got hers today, her first good, shot. Good, good. I'm surprised uh, because they say the second one is far more potent, of course, and comes because of the cumulative effect of the two that it hits people a bit more, uh, you know, difficultly. It, it's more difficult on the system. It's more, it's harder for people to deal with. And apparently it hits women harder too. Yes, that's what I've heard. Uh, so, you know, we go for our second shot tomorrow. And so we will see how we do on Wednesday. Uh, you know, we'll see how we do. For now, I'm just going to try to put it out of my mind because, you know, if you focus too much on it, I think you can almost create it. Yeah. Self-fulfilling. You know? Yeah, a little bit. So, um, but I'm so glad to hear that because you are on your way to being able to someday enjoy life without a mask. Not quite yet, but you're on your way. Did you agree with any of those SAG award winners last night uh, that uh, were introduced to us? Yeah, actually, I don't think I really disagreed. I didn't get to see that much, but I I don't think I really disagreed um, with anything. How did you feel about the um, the production? I liked it. It was simple. It was easy to watch. Uh, I liked the opening, which gave uh, moments in a very uh, succinct way, uh, gave you an idea of all of the moments of performance that were being uh, celebrated. Um, I liked the no. I liked the no host format, and. What I particularly enjoy is the artists, the actors celebrating the actors. And, you know, that's that's the yeah. fun of the award. It's it's not about the producers. It's not about the directors. It's just about the performances, the actors. And so it's there's a kindred kind of feeling you get when you're, you know, when you're a SAG member and you you see that happening. And it's great to see, it was great to see 
not only the winners giving their speeches, but how the other nominees were responding to that speech and also some other people, you know? So it, you got a feel for the fact that everyone was listening. It was completely pre-taped. Mm -hmm. So that made those moments possible without risking too much, you know, because now you've got all of those pieces dialed in and you're just deciding where you're going to put people basically in the scheme of things. If you're looking at a mortise, which is what they did when, you know, they'd go full frame on somebody who won and then they'd go back to a mortise looking, you know, they'd show six people or a few people with that person, um, which is similar to what they do when they're announcing the nominees, right? That same kind of feel. So because they pre-taped it all, they had the time to cut in different things, to cut people in, to pull other people into the final edit if they were really there, it looked like they were. So it was clean. Mm -hmm. Not as, you know, we didn't have any of the issues that we experienced uh, at the Golden Globes, which was live. So there you have it. And what I liked about it, and I was kind of expecting it to be, since it was pre-produced, pre-recorded, it wasn't overproduced. And I thought it might be, and it wasn't. It was very, very simple. It sure was. And that gave them enough time to do, to put the focus on the people, which is what they did. You know, even when they came out of commercial break, mm -hmm. They were right back on on a nomination on somebody, you know, ready to give an award away. It was all about that. And that's because it's the SAG Awards and it comes with far less politic than the other awards. You know, it is a, an award that is voted by the SAG membership. And so I think for an actor, and it's only 27 years that SAG's been doing this as opposed to, you know, 93 with the Academy. It's, it's fairly recent. And I think, I have to say, I think what, what is so joyful for the winners of this award is that it's given to them by their peers. And I am not aware of any, and there might be, uh, I'm not aware of the submission process with the SAG Awards. I don't know. I don't know that it's, it might just be part of the submission season. So a submission might be made for the Golden Globes and it could likely be the very same submission, I would assume, unless it's got some pieces that are you know, with some pieces that are very particular. But I would think that's the way it's done rather than you have a completely, you make a different SAG submission. I'm sure there's a form to submit a project. My point being that it's not as political mm -hmm. and, you're not, and the selection is, I would assume, not as political. It was as diverse last night. It was night, very following diverse following the the fad the trend that we're seeing which shouldn't be a trend no so but, let's yeah. see what happens in 2022 because this should be a blending it should be it should be just that and we're not talking about separate categories we're not talking about a people of colors category here we're just talking about including them in the categories mm -hmm. right 
Yeah, I like the fact that it was from the actor's point of view. It was given by the actors to the actors. And, and I think for the actors that that in itself feels really joyful because it's your peers giving you the award. I really, really loved when the woman from Minari, when she won, and I'm going to butcher her name, but how truly excited. I saw it with all of them, but when she won, and especially watching Glenn Close, right? When she won, they were so genuinely excited for her. It, it almost felt like they were all, they all, the other nominees wanted her to win. It was very sweet. They it were was, very supportive yeah. of her. I, and especially from Glenn Close, who always seems to get chipped out of an award. You know, I think the world takes Glenn Close for granted because she's so darn talented and versatile. You know, I mean, she is the Meryl Streep. Yeah. Who doesn't get awards. That's what I would say. Because, God, the woman is brilliant. The Chicago 7 did very well. Yes. It did so well that we watched it last night. How did you like it? It's amazing. I haven't seen it yet. It's amazing. It's an amazing movie. Uh, it's so right for the time. The performances are brilliant. Uh, I, you just want, Frank Langella plays the judge mm -hmm. and you just want to scream. You know, he just, he so gets, un, he got under my skin because he was so inept and so, uh, so not, should never have officiated over that trial ever. Uh, so that was an, that was really shocking. It was just a great movie. Well, well written, very fast moving uh, and great performances worth seeing for sure. The, the injustice of the movie is just, it's unbearable. <laughs> It's at times, you know, because you see it playing out in front of you and it's in, you're incredulous. You can't believe that the things that are playing out in an American courtroom actually are. Wow. 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 Definitely. Definitely worth seeing. Yeah, I do want to see that one. And I and I definitely want to see Ma Rainey's because especially after the clips last night. She's she's incredible. And it's what's interesting is that she is not on screen a lot. She, it's not all about her. I mean, you know, in a sense it is, but she has quite a few scenes, but she's not in the entire movie. And, uh, but her performance is just incredible. It's riveting. So definitely see that. And Chadwick Boseman as well is worth seeing in that. Yeah. Everybody that's well. seen it said he's amazing in that. We do have some news that it looks like maybe the third quarter people will start getting together in uh, larger groups. Uh, I think through the summer, we might see some personal celebrations begin to materialize. I think weddings will come back likely in June, July, August, small weddings. I, friends of mine are already get, are already planning. Friends of ours are already planning uh, live events starting in the summer, small ones. Uh, and we're starting to plan live events for next year mm -hmm. and for the end of this year as well. 
And we're, but we're still sort of waiting to see, you know, what the result will be, you know, if people will respond favorably. The news came out that if you're double vaccinated, if you have the vaccination, you can travel. Yes, I saw that. Using the same precautions, a mask. Uh, so that's that's news that will help the travel industry. I see it coming back uh, from a, uh, a tourism point of view, from a transient point of view, which is to say that people will come for the weekend or for vacation, but I don't see a lot of meeting business this summer yet. Not quite yet, but it's still interesting because it just feels like some people are sleeping in the industry and I'm just waiting for them to wake up. Where are they? You know, And I'm waiting for people to come back and start revisiting their resources and start uh, developing new ones. And I'm not seeing that happen. So that's a bit concerning. I'm talking about the third parties, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because just one of the clients that I work with, they're still doing the same types of uh, events. They're live, but they're drive-throughs, right? Um, but they're starting to have their contingency. Before it was okay, we're planning a live event with a drive-through as the contingency, and for the last couple of months, that's been the reverse. We're gonna we're planning for the drive-through with the, it changing to a more traditional live event should it things get better sooner. So it's just oh. kind of interesting to see that flip, like plan A, plan B. Right, right. That so is I'm kind of looking at them as my as as a, a little bit of a barometer for what you can do what or I what will do. happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to start small and almost organically like that. People have to start coming together in their communities uh, and, you know, in their families, with their families and friends, for them to feel even remotely comfortable, you know, going anywhere else, doing, being in a bigger crowd. Although we are seeing crowds, we're seeing people out, people are out and about. And I would say with about 95% of the time they are masked. There are some people who are not, um, but most everyone is. You know, it's it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I, it feels like the longest winter. Yes, that's a good name for a play. Oh wait. Oh wait, right? Oh wait. Yeah, it does because even though it's been a year over a year now, and we're in sunny San Diego, it still feels like people are in hibernation. Mm -hmm. So we are not totally bereft today. We do have a guest with us. She is a fascinating, fabulous guest. Tell us who she is. She is a beautifully, beautiful, talented actress. Um, she is a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. Oh, she starred in the, the TV movie Marilyn and Me, which is all about Marilyn Monroe. And she's been on many, many shows like Quantum Leap, Nip Tuck. I want to hear stories about that one. And Time Cop. She was in the original cast of Legends in Concert. So let's welcome the beautiful and talented Susan Griffith. Hello, Susie. I call her Susie. Anthony? Yes? Can you hear me? Yes. I can, can you see hear us? I hear you. And you see us, don't you? 
I see you, but I don't want you to see me. <laughs> That's okay. You, we don't have. No, I love you. I and, you came know, from the gym. <laughs> I'm, I'm itching to see you, but I'm glad you just came from the gym. That's even more important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How are you, sweetness? Well, you know, given the um, the year that we've had, I'm yeah. I'm doing better than most, and uh, you know, muddling through. How about you? I, I would have to make the same assessment. You know, uh, things could always be much worse. Yes. Uh, and there are people out there who are working a lot right now. Uh, but, um, you know, there are people who aren't doing anything. So I'm happy to have what we have. Yeah. Right. You know, and most of all, health, right? That's number one. Yes. Number one, health to family, uh, you know, a home that's comfortable and warm or cool. You know, I mean, there's so many things right. to be happy about. Um, you have worked during this, I would imagine. I mean, you're no stranger to film and television. I would imagine you've been in front of the, uh, the internet camera, if you will, uh, and the virtual camera, if you will. Have you done many, much of anything, any events this last year? Well, the only events I did were live events. I had a bunch of theater shows that all had to cancel, obviously. And then a lot of people went and did these, um, these kind of telegram things, you know, mm -hmm. and I decided that just wasn't my cup of tea. I, I didn't, I'm kind of in a stage in my life where I want to do what I want to do. And if it excites me, I don't want to do it just for money, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I wasn't up for it. I wasn't up for it. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I'm. I think uh, we are. We can definitely um, uh, commiserate with you or celebrate with you the fact that we're at that point in our lives as well. <laughs> well, you know what, Anthony? I mean, let's be honest. We we had great years. I have so much compassion for people who were right in the middle of. You know, there's that point where you're taking your career up a hill. You know, and you're going. I'm chugging along, I'm making headway, things are popping, what? A virus? And then it all just goes away, you know? Yeah. Right, as, as though it never happened. In a, in a few years, it will feel as though it never happened to most people. The way that Very society is, it's so transient this day and, and it forgets so quickly, you're probably right. We do, mm. that is one of, I mean, it's a good thing when it's bad stuff, you know, but sometimes right. you have to remember bad stuff because you don't want to repeat it if you have any part in it, I guess, you know, so we didn't, we didn't create this. <laughs> no, 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 we didn't create this. We are just innocent bystanders, just sort of like making our way around the strains of virus that exist, you know, just sort of hobbling through. Well, you know but, what, Anthony, uh, I was out in Palm Springs and I remember that, that I came home and on the internet was all this coronavirus. And all, for all I knew, it was like, oh, my God, it was this thing that happened to these, these places where they eat bats. And, you know, never did I dream it was going to be. And all of a sudden, it was like, this is like something. And I'm like, really? And then it just was like, have you ever seen something you were supposed to be on and it just leaves like a ship or a train? And you're going, I'm mm -hmm. supposed to be on you and you're just going away. That's how I felt. It was surreal, wasn't it? Yeah. It felt yes. like, you know, the world was just stopped you know just yes. yeah i i remember feeling that way too but i also remember feeling at first like okay well we're all in this boat together so just chill out and 
you know, it'll be okay. It won't be that long. Yeah, flatten the curve. <laughs> right. I do remember, you know, it was a it was early morning and I was taking this walk and the color of the sky was fantastic. Um, it was it was a blue like I had grown up with up in Alpine, which you know, it's in the country. So there was no pollution, the air felt fresh, it felt crisp, it felt clean. And I thought, okay, we're having an opportunity for a universal reset and to kind of get our priorities back and straight. And so for a couple of weeks, I, I rode that high. I'm like, this is gonna be great. This is good, we all need this. And then- Alex, it, same thing, same thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting, I, I could easily get my car on a charger. The, the air was really clean because not many people were driving. So I was like, I'm just gonna make lemonade out of these lemons. You yes. know? So yeah, I was with you, I was with you. And yes. then they all came back, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, especially up up where you are, uh, it's a bit more hectic and chaotic on the roads. So, is it not? Um, well, are you, are you no longer in LA? Did you leave? I, I'm in Orange County. Oh, okay, you've always been in Orange County. No, I was in LA. Yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> what happened? Um, Why are you confusing me? Stop moving. I'm so sorry. Um, did, you, did you know what's going to confuse me? Well, you know, I was a gypsy. I moved 17 times in eight years. Oh my God. So I know I was, I was truly a gypsy. I could, I could move. I, if, if I wanted to do something, damn it, I did it. And it didn't really affect me. I just moved. I mean, so like I moved up to LA and I lived in West Hollywood and that was fun. And then I thought I got my movie of the week. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go rent a house. So I rented a house up Laurel Canyon. And then my friend said, Susie, I've got a rent control apartment in Santa Monica. I'm like, oh my God, a rent control apartment. And say, okay, I got to move to Santa Monica. Then there was a fire. And then I moved to Ocean Ave in Santa Monica because of my fire. My friend gave me one of his apartments. And I had this four year, unbelievably priced Ocean View apartment on Ocean Ave in Santa Monica. And then he took it back. Oh, damn. And I, you know, but it was the best thing that ever happened because I said, okay, now I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to have the mortgage. So I was going to buy in LA. And then I, you know, LA had just started to get really <sighs> ooh, interesting, you know, well, mm -hmm. lots of crime. And, and I watched a woman get mugged about four feet from me. And I thought, you know, I think it's time for me to go south. So it was either San Diego or Orange County. So where in Orange County are you? Where did you land? I live in Tustin Ranch. It borders Irvine, Inland mm -hmm. Newport Beach. I know exactly I can get to, where that is. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. And I built, I bought when nothing was here. So my house tripled and they built up all around me and um, they left Jamboree open so I can get up and down it. Yes. And I can get to the beach in 25 minutes. Nice. And you can get to LA or San Diego in an hour most days. Uh, <laughs> You're very ambitious. Yeah, yes, most day. Well, uh, San Diego uh, used to be easy. It San used Diego's to be. not easy anymore. You guys no. have traffic. No, we have traffic now. And they're they're about to widen the North County area, the road there, but it's one highway in and one highway out of the North County. And it gets pretty tight. It never was that way, right? When you started your oh career. You, once you got out of LA, it was a free. It was free going all the way down to San all Diego. All the way down. Traffic yeah, the way. in San Diego was unheard of. 
Right. We don't have traffic in San. I could literally, because I always used to tell people, tell me where you're going. I'll tell you what time you should leave. I'll tell you what the freeways are going to be like, you know? And I, I could set my clock. And then all of a sudden, San Diego threw me a curve. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. At 30 minutes. So you didn't start as an impersonator. You didn't start your career as Marilyn Monroe. You, how did you start? Like, tell us about started, the, yeah. I, I started my career as an impersonator. <laughs> no. I did. <laughs> so how did, how you, did, saying, you, how yeah, did you do that? How did you do oh. that? Okay. So, you know, I'm a California girl, born and raised. And then my parents moved to Utah and I was like, what? <laughs> And Utah's a beautiful state, don't get me wrong. My family all stayed there. But I never, I think we all have a simpatico or a harmony or a feeling or a mesh. And I just never meshed with four season snow and, and it just wasn't my thing. So the minute I turned 21, I moved back to California. Again, the gypsy. And um, I was a brunette. I know you find that hard to believe, but um, I'm just kidding. I do. I, I, was a, I do, I, was I never brunette. knew you as a brunette. Never seen you oh, as a yes. brunette. Yes, I am a brunette. And one day I saw this picture and I was like, could I be blonde? And my hairdresser said, sure. So the blonder I got, the more I heard Marilyn. Marilyn, Marilyn, Marilyn went to this agency. This photographer saw the vision, got this guy, one of Marilyn's makeup artists. I mean, I, I have this incredible, I guess, because I've done it for so long, I had the opportunity to meet Joe DiMaggio and several interesting people in Marilyn's life. But this one guy that did my makeup for my best photo shoot had done hers. He was oh, old, but he was, he was still around, you know, and he did a mm -hmm. great job. So I started doing Marilyn and it was just this journey. And I'm, I, I, you know, I went, I flew to Japan and I made three commercials that ran for 15 years. Wow. So I became very famous in Japan, but my first job, you guys, was I got off the plane and there's all the paparazzi because they love Marilyn in Japan. Yep. Yes. So one of my first jobs, I was treated like a superstar and it was downhill from there on out. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's not the way you want it to be. <laughs> Where is no, no. Um, I was in Tokyo. Okay. I lived in Japan for two years. So I what what year were, did you do that commercial? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I was living there. In, mm -hmm. I'm the hotel Jiraku girl. I was Jiraku Yan and, and I dance around a big cat. And one of them's a yellow dress that blows up. So this would have been 80s. Yeah. And I was 20, I flew to Japan first class. I had the most amazing, mind you, this is like my third or fourth job even doing this. So wow, I was so yes. green, so, but yeah, so that's, and then I went and did Legends. So I, I, I left doing that commercial. I, and then this producer in Vegas said, can you sing? And I said, yes. And I really wasn't that good. So I had to get up to speed and I did Legends. I started Legends in concert. So you taught yourself how to sing or did you get a coach or how had that happen? You know, Anthony and Alex, when you find yourself in a situation that you know you're not hitting the mark, you have two choices. You tuck your tail between your legs and you go or you get better. So I decided I needed help. So I went to a vocal coach and I studied with her and then I took movement classes, dance classes, acting right. classes, because you it was that old saying if a camel passes you by that helps you follow him by trying to keep up with him so 
I'm not even saying the saying right, but the whole thing is that when you're working with other acts that are doing really great, you, you better get your, you know what, together. <laughs> so that's what uh, I tried to do. But you yeah. apparently you did that. Not apparently, you obviously did that because you were in that show for a, a long time. I did four years in Legends, yes. yes. And yes. then is that what led to Marilyn and me in 1991 or what had that already happened? left Vegas to create a show similar in Hawaii, lived in Hawaii for two years and said, I am too young and paradise is not what you want to be in your twenties. It was fabulous. Right. right? That two years nor is the normal time frame for people to move to Hawaii and then back two years. Yeah. Cause you get, yeah. Well, That's the is the same and it's beautiful. It is a, yeah. It's a completely different because it's so beautiful. I mean, but you know, it's redundant and it's lovely, right. but if you have ambition, you better get off the Island. <laughs> right. Right. So get this, I died. So I, I left Hawaii. I moved to LA sleeping on my girlfriend's floor. So I had, so, okay. When I lived in Vegas, we were a little flashy. I mean, we were 20. I'm so glad I did this, you guys, because, you know, there's a time in your life when you should just live, like mm -hmm. buy the furs, buy the, now fake furs, buy the jewelry, have the cars. And so I, I went to Hawaii with a Rolls Royce. I'm not kidding you. I bought a beautiful wow. silver shadow Rolls Royce. I shipped it to Hawaii and I left for the Honda. <laughs> 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 because you can't be a starving actress in LA with a Rolls Royce. No. You have to have a Honda. So right. I, you know, I was, and everybody kept saying to me, you're going to be so sorry you did this. You know, you, you make all this money, which I did. I was paid very well. I had a beautiful car, but you know, if you don't take chances in life, then you, you know, you just, you got to, right. You're, mm -hmm. you're, I mean, you're not young forever. So I moved back to LA from gorgeous penthouse and all of this on the beach to sleeping on my friend's floor. And um, it was humbling and it's wonderful. And that's what starving actresses do. And I dyed my hair dark. In fact, I don't know if you guys ever watch QVC, but Nick Chavez, who has his products all over QVC, did my hair because we um, we <laughs> were lined up on a date and, um, and come to find out I wasn't his uh, type, if you know what I mean. Mm. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I mean, no. Not in the slightest. I know exactly Not, what you mean. And it was nothing personal. <laughs> he no, loved no. me. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah, so I dyed my hair dark. When, and you know, people always say to me, and I said this, I don't know if you guys probably know this. If you want to be an actor, you better go, because there's this thing, you have to be in LA. Now you can probably get away with not being in LA. It's everything virtual and everything is online. And But at that time, you needed to get the agents. You needed to go out with other actors and find out what they were doing. And it was like a referral thing. And, you know, you had to be like right. in the stew, if you know what I mean. So no, there was no internet star, no. to, you know, hang on, you know, right. Nothing. right. So I got the commercial agent and, you know, as dumb luck would always have it, I landed a national commercial on my second audition. So wow. I had no idea how hard wow. that was and it, and it never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> Because I just went in and went, oh, okay, this is easy. I can do this. Right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, I was really driven though. And um, I'd heard about these projects. There were two films in the possibility of being made. And one of them was Marilyn and Me, which I had met Robert Slater when I was doing my show in, in Las Vegas. And he said to me, I'm gonna, you're going to star in my movie. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And um, so I called this woman that was making another film and because I had no agent, I only had a commercial agent. So I was my agent, I was my manager, I was my everything. And she said, they're making Slater's film. You really should send in your stuff. So I walked into the casting director's office in my gym clothes, like I look now, with brunette hair. And they were both standing there, the casting directors, which is very odd. And I handed them my stuff and they said, hi. And I said, hi. And they gave me the audition. Wow. Nice. You think they were expecting you? No. Oh, no. Nope. Didn't no. know me from Adam because just, I didn't have an agent. Right. Yeah. I just walked in. It'd, like, it'd be like if I walked in, you were looking for a specific type and all of a sudden I walked in with my stuff and you looked up at me, Anthony, and went, that's exactly what we're looking for. Right. That's kind right. of how they looked at me. Right. Yeah. You know, you're very uh, humble. You've done quite a few films. You were in Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. uh, you've done TV, right? She, uh, yeah. Alex mentioned Nip Tuck, Time Cop, yeah. Quantum Leap, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm with Dustin Hoffman. Oh my oh, gosh! Tell us about that. Oh gosh, you guys. You know what? I had no idea. So, one of the great things about some of the stuff I've done, like when I auditioned for. Um, Pulp Fiction, I had just done Marilyn and Me. So I got to audition for Quentin Tarantino. Now, I didn't know who Quentin Tarantino was. You know, he was, I walked in and there's this guy. That's, blah, 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 you know, Quentin. <laughs> I didn't know who Quentin, he, he was, he had done True Romance. So he was just becoming known, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I got to audition with him. So when I auditioned for uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I got to audition with Larry David. Mm. I mean, he read with me. Oh my gosh. Not a casting director, Larry David. Wow. And I just, I walked in and there's Larry and I'm like, oh, okay, Seinfeld, okay, big fan. Um, so I auditioned with Larry and he chose me and that was great. And I get to the set and I'm waiting and I'm waiting as we all do on sets. And finally I decided to meander over to the set and someone goes, have you seen Dustin Hoffman yet? And I go, what? He said, oh yeah, Dustin Hoffman and Sasha Baron Cohen are in this episode. Mm -hmm. I'd be kidding me so I walk in and there they are I don't know if you ever saw the episode where Larry gets thrown out of heaven no did but you guys ever watch go, Curb I missed that one I'm gonna go back I, and find that one. Oh, I didn't funny. see it oh it's it, it do you what did you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm to know his character yes, yes all the time yes okay I, so he gets thrown out of heaven because he's Larry David <laughs> and he's contentious and him and Dustin and his biblical guide, Dustin Hoffman, and him are going, can I say the F word? Mm -hmm. F, F, you know, they're, they're cussing at each other. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God. So anyway, getting back to Dustin, I diverged. I decided, I, and I've learned this because after doing my movie, I understood that a lot of actors, if they are especially the star or even if they have a lot of lines, they may not be friendly to everybody because they really are holding a load. You know what I mean? It's like a responsibility yes. to learn your lines and you're thinking about your character. So if an extra comes up and goes, so how'd you get started? You're like, oh, please don't make me tell that story because I'm trying to remember my lines and you don't want to be mean, right? Because right. you want to be nice to people and you understand right. that they want to they want to know your process. But you, so sometimes people just like to be left alone, I guess is what I'm saying. So I thought, I'm just going to go over in my chair and sit down. If he wants to talk to me, he'll talk to me. I'm not going to go up and, you know, so I sat in my chair 
And all of a sudden he comes up and he goes, hello, Marilyn. <laughs> and I said, hello, Mr. Hoffman. And he, he, we formed this bond in the two days that we shot where he would tell me Marilyn Monroe stories from the actor's studio. She was what her skin looked like, how scared she was. I mean, all these really incredible personal stories about her. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was. It you've was an had, amazing moment. You've had the opportunity to work with quite a few people, Dustin Hoffman among them, but uh, I know Alex just <laughs> is dying to ask you about <laughs> oh. Scott oh. Bakula. Oh, oh my God. God. Well, I, one of the biggest crushes oh, I've ever had. I just <gasps> everything about that man is brilliant. I know, I know, I know. And you know what? He is the nicest man in the world. That's what I always read. I, I he's first of all, when I worked with him, he was so sexy. I mean, he was really had this great physique, and mm -hmm. he was just that tousled hair, mm -hmm. handsome. Mm -hmm. I love. I got to kiss him, you know. Oh, I, I know yeah. I saw it because I've seen every episode of Quantum Leap <laughs> that was and probably two and three times. So I know I saw that one. Because, so Alex um, probably hated you at one point. That's okay. That's, that's okay. okay. I'm just saying. It was, no, all I get in, it. it was all for good reason. I used to sit there and go, I just need a man like that in my life. Didn't we and, all? You know, he truly, yeah. <laughs> and he is, you guys, he is that. I mean, of course, I don't know him personally, personally. In fact, he, although he did, okay, so he did marry my ex-boyfriend's ex-girlfriend. Oh, Field. wow. He did, yes. So that's just yes. two degrees. Yes. Mm. And um, we, yeah, I was kind of there at the end of his marriage and um, yeah, but though nothing ever happened with me and him, but oh my God, Alex, I'm with you. Had there be, even been a glance, I would have been like, yes, he's so handsome. And nice, such a nice man. Quantum Leap was one of my favorite projects. Oh, such a great show. Was it a one day, a two day, a week? How long, how long were you on the show? Four days. And here's the funny thing. My darling little mother, who is now 86 years old and just had heart surgery. I just went to take care of her. God bless. My darling little mother, I know, right? And I'm like, please let her be okay now. Um, she, she came with me. She, she just happened to be in town. Mm -hmm. And I said, mom, do you want to come to the set? And she goes, okay. So she comes to the set, up at 4.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you're the star of something, because I have not starred in like Pulp Fiction, I had the luxury of just being able to watch everything because I had so little to do. But when you are in every scene, you, you don't sleep rest the whole time you're shooting because you're in wardrobe, you're in this, you're in that, you're in that. My mom left the three days with me and went, Oh my God, you work so hard. <laughs> it's a lot of it's work. It's not as glamorous as one thinks. <laughs> <laughs> not when people are reaching up your dress to adjust your, I mean, you become, you become very personally involved with your wardrobe people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's there. I think that's part of the problem is you become a piece of, you're a prop to some degree, you know? Yes. You are, and um, looking back, it's all very, very interesting. I think I, I think that Hollywood, for me, at this stage, when I look back, I kind of go, well, that was kind of messed up. <laughs> Some <laughs> of the things 
that you later look back upon, you um, you wonder. Uh, I wasn't very good at playing the game. I finally did get the agents. I went with Gersh after I did Marilyn and Me, and I got the manager. Also, get this: my manager was Lloyd Bloom. Lloyd Bloom was gunned down in the parking lot at Sports Club LA by the oh. mob. <laughs> Oh, oh my! I'm not laughing like it's a good thing. I'm laughing like, oh my god! It's, yes, yes. So, While he um, was your agent, or I think at the time he had Sam Kinison, he had Raquel Welch. He was a manager at that. So I had. Oh. So of course, after I did Marilyn and Me, I had agents and managers. You know, I, I went from the funny thing, Alex and Anthony, is that. I went from small parts to starring in a movie. I went from no agent, no manager to an agent and a manager. I think there's been like a, I went from nothing to going to make these commercials in Japan and doing legends. I think I've always gone from zero to 90. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and sometimes that's a blessing, but the curse can be that you always look for the tools to keep yourself up to speed when you make yeah. that much progress so quickly. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. there's a there's actually yeah. a, quote, a quote but also from, one other experience I had. Mm-hmm. I was going to say there's a quote from the the Parent Trap. I think it is. No, maybe not. But it's the grandmother who is basically saying to her son, who has all these kids, you know, life is either a merry-go-round or a roller coaster. A merry-go-round goes around and around, and it's really nice but that's all it does. And a roller coaster has peaks and valleys and it's frightening and fun and full of surprise. So which would you rather have? Sounds I like you- I remember that quote. I remember that. Yeah, do you remember that? Maybe. So Susan, it sounds like, you know, you're the latter type that uh, you're going to live life while you can, right? And give roller everything- Roller coaster, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, my, is don't look down. I mean, I always looked, I was equated that I was up on a tightrope, you know? And sometimes when you're up on that, that tightrope you're walking across, you're going, I can do this. This is easy. But if you look down and you see what you're standing above, sometimes you might fall. So there's a point where you have to make it where it doesn't get hard because it can get hard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, you have to pick yourself back up from the from a few falls. You know what I mean? So and so how do you do that? What what's your trick? What how do you keep yourself viable? and your psyche ready for a challenge after a, a hit a hard, um, and by that i mean a hard hit not a hit as in you know a wonderful show after you've fallen i really think people have to persevere sometimes when a door is closed it's closed and it will not open and sometimes you've got to know when to fold it you know it's just like that door's not opening for me but sometimes that door is is a re- is waiting for you to be relentless to open it so you kind of have to know the difference between when the door is closed and you need to move on and when the door is just waiting for you to continue to pursue opening it, I think. And I don't always have the answer for that because I think I've had um, unfortunate things that have happened. You know, um, I think I had a lot of guts, but I think sometimes as we all have, we have those voices that say you're not good enough and the mm-hmm. doubt, you know, um, that's a hard part of it is the doubt. and. I don't think anybody, you know, I used to look at stars and think, well, surely they feel great about themselves. And obviously, even the character I do, she never felt great about herself. Yeah. Marilyn. Right. No, no, yeah. never, ever. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it is a it is an interesting uh, phenomenon, and it's a very hard life for actors uh, because 
again, the audience's perception is that life is great. The audience doesn't remember that there's actually life in between the times that you see somebody in a movie or on television. Uh, and so, you know, they're not really connecting those dots, but you can't really expect a life of security or, uh, you know, not having peaks and valleys, just a sort of a, 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 a mundane life when you're an actor. You, you can't expect that. You've got to be ready for challenge, wouldn't you say? And you have to learn to fill yourself up with other things so that exactly, because the bottom line is, is that, you know, for, I always believe if you want to be truly an actor, you have to eat, eat, dream, sleep, breathe. You really have to envelop yourself into the process. And for some people, um, they get lucky. I got lucky in many ways. Um, I got, un I was unlucky in other ways, but you know, you have to really find that that can't be your only thing though, whether it's a great love, a great family, um, something else you like to do. I'll never forget one of the things that I've kind of put in my head lately is my favorite tennis player, Rafael Nadal, he lets go of every point after he loses it or if he does something really bad, he flushes it out and he's on to the next point. And I thought, wow, that's a great thing in life. If you can just, you know, learn from the lesson. I mean, to try not to make the same mistake. Obviously he did something that caused him not to hit that ball back, but like let go of all the minutia that comes with like, oh shoot, why did I do that? You know, self-doubt, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I think life is patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time time mm. that's a, that's a very good way to put it and i think you're right most of us are our worst enemies and we talk ourselves down uh or you know fill our, our heads with allow ourselves to be uh, uh moved by the voices in our heads if you will that say we're no good or we can't or we shouldn't um well you know a, you, you can get a thousand compliments but it's the one, it's that one. And it doesn't even have to be a hugely negative comment. It can mm -hmm. be one that's up to interpretation, but that's mm -hmm. the one that'll play in your head. That's the one that yes. yeah. And it's a shame because it gives that one a lot of power, doesn't it? It sure does, yes. <laughs> it's, and it's about, it's a little bit about having compassion uh, for others as well as for yourself. and. You know, the idea of, of having compassion is one that helps you to forgive yourself a bit more. Uh, just throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, real quick, um, John Travolta and Scott Bakula had one thing in common that I absolutely adored about both of them. And that was they had no hierarchy. They never treated their director or their better than they treated a grip. If the grips were out there struggling to set up a scene, they'd go out there and try to help them. They just never had a hierarchy. It was like, everybody's a viable human being. And here we all are, we're in this together. And even though I'm allegedly the star of this, I, I am not beneath helping you do something. That's beautiful. Or above helping, isn't that great? That's leadership. Mm -hmm. That's leadership. That's getting your movie made and making sure that everybody feels like a team while it's being made. That's incredible. I'm lo I love hearing that about John and oh, Scott. Oh, he's so nice. They're so nice. Yeah. And it's not phony. Like some people are nice, you know. Yes. I won't, I won't tell you who my least favorite 
person that I worked with was. Oh, come you'll on. Probably both <laughs> come on, tell us. We okay, won't tell so anyone. You promise? Okay, so <laughs> stays right here. Well, one of my most interesting nights. I wanted to share this with you, and then I'll tell you my least favorite person. You you might be in shock, but maybe it won't be a surprise. One night, um, David LaChapelle. I don't know if you know who David is, but he's mm -hmm. a very famous photographer. And I did my Elton John video with him, and um, so I have ran behind Elton John for years on his tour until his tour just got shut down. Um, I was with him in Vegas. I did his Candle in the Wind video. And then he chose to re resurrect me because I was with him in Vegas for a couple of years. And then he took me on tour with him for his candle, his candle in the wind was in the tour. So um, David always wanted to shoot me with Quentin Tarantino. So Vanity Fair wanted this piece and he ended up shooting me with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Mm. But interestingly enough, in my dressing room that night, as they both arrived from set was Rose McGowan. Oh. And now when I look, I just thought she was the most unhappy person, not really friendly. And I thought she was so unhappy. And now that we know kind of some of the history, I think yeah, there was probably a very big reason she wasn't very happy. So, right. And that's where I guess you can never judge where someone's coming from. I, of course, thought, oh, she just doesn't like me. But I think she wasn't liking them because mm -hmm. that was right in the middle of the Harvey Weinstein stuff. So mm -hmm. interesting, huh? Yeah. Okay. So. The person that was the most challenging that I worked with was, um, <laughs> I just blanked on his name, <laughs> was... Jimmy Kimmel. Oh. Oh. Interesting. I shot, I shot the cover of the... GQ magazine. Yes, yeah. we were going to yeah. ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it was on our list to ask, so do tell. What made it typical? You know, again, I really give people a lot of leash because um, mm -hmm. I just think that some stars are stars and they just don't want to be bothered with the minions. And um, other people are like, hi, how are you? Nice. To and it has all these levels. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of always been, I just kind of feel somebody out first. So I went in and there he was in the dressing room and they introduced me to him and he just kind of looked at me like, eh, whatever. And I was like, okay, that's not very warm. All right, well, then I'll just stay out of his way. Because once I see <laughs> no warmth, uh, I think, okay, I'm here to support you and do this cover with you. And I'll let you take the lead. And his lead was never ever to talk to me and never to be friendly. And I, again, I took it all personally and just thought, oh my God, what is it? Oh. Um, but uh, I, yeah, it was kind of a long day. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that, but I'm I'm glad that you're that you know now not to take those things personally, right? Well, I always I figure that he doesn't know me to he, have it be personal. He does. I haven't worked. I haven't worked yet, so he doesn't know if I'm going to suck at what I do. You know, so when someone meets you and they're immediately not very nice, it usually ninety five percent of the time is probably not personal, because how could no, they even know say. you? Yeah, they have. It was. I would guarantee it was anything but personal. It might have even been. He didn't want to be with a Marilyn Monroe on the cover. <laughs> Who knows? He, actually, he was grumpy about all the covers, and so I just think he was not in a good mood. 
And um, there could have been that. Maybe he thought that was stupid. Maybe he didn't want somebody else in the shot with him. But because he was that way about all, like he did Abraham Lincoln. He did, um, he did, uh, he did Tricky Dicky. You know, uh, I am not a crook. Uh, he did uh, uh, Nixon. Nixon. Yeah. yeah. So he did several covers, uh, but he was not happy about any of them. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So. So this is, after, this, this is ahead. my, I'm just going to throw this out there because I think this is how, how you diffuse the situation. You're, by the way, a pro. So I totally agree. So to stay out of their way, mm -hmm. do what you're told, mm -hmm. right? Just go on, do your business, the pro thing to do. Mm -hmm. But it does seem like he's just maybe a bit gassy. Gassy? <laughs> and that would be what I would say. Oh, he was full of something, honey. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, let's go with gas. So I'm going to now, I'm going to. Think and that's what you should time. go with every time somebody's nasty, that they're just gassy. They're gassy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It, it's sad because the funny thing is, and I'll just let this go, it, it bothers me more in the post than it did in the present. Because in the present, I just kind of let it go. But post, I keep thinking to myself, you know, people say like, how is it to work with Jimmy Kimmel? I'm like, well, <laughs> it wasn't great. In so the present, I bet you were still hoping it would get better. You always do. Yes. Like maybe he'll turn a cheek and say, it was great working with you or, you know, sorry, I was feeling this way. You know, something that made it all fine. But that didn't right. happen. No, it didn't. Yeah. And he had kisses all over his face. And people would say to me, oh, did you do those kisses? I'm like, hell no. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the makeup artist did those. Because so, it was just, and like, even when I had to put my hand on his shoulder, I could just feel the, it just was like, and maybe he disdained, you know, I did work with uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And he just, he walked up to me and said, I hate impersonators. And I'm like, okay, good, cool. Good to know. Bye. <laughs> he, was just, he just didn't. You know, some people don't, and I get it. It's like, uh, I don't, I don't really know that I get it, but I'd rather know it instead of thinking you just hate me, you know, so. Yeah, so he does have a thing against impersonators then. He has a, he hates them. That's a strong word. Yeah. Yeah, Very and strong. that was the lifestyle of the rich and famous guy. What was his name? The one that Robin died? Robin Leach. You know, yeah, Robin Leach. Yeah. He's the one that said that to me. I mean, he's like, I loathe impersonators so oh like, robin lee said that yeah oh, okay. not kent jimmy no, jimmy never said anything to me <laughs> which is he just so, no, words what, out of robin leach so let's ask which is worse in your mind oh which is worse ha, ha, ha. well they both hurt they both sting i imagine that the the, the slap from robin leach is like he slapped me and then you just kind of go you go okay that's his problem so I'd say it's easier to have someone come up and tell you the truth. Right. I guess so. Right. Because then, then you're you not could, saying it. Yeah. Go ahead. Was it me? Was it me? Was it me? Right. Yeah. You know why he hates impersonators, yeah. right? You yeah. just happen to and, be one. And, you know, I, to be honest with both of you, in when I was a little girl, thinking about what I wanted to be, an impersonator was never in the mix. <laughs> I really? You didn't no. grow up wanting to be one? No, no. I never even it's thought about one. Never dreamed of it. It's one of those things I think that just comes upon you when you happen to resemble somebody famous without intention, which is the case with you. There, you did nothing to enhance your look to be more Marilyn. You just 
looked like Marilyn. And so you were taken on this ride and you went willingly. And, and you are, first of all, it, let's just make the distinction because there is a distinction between somebody who looks like someone, a lookalike, and an impersonator. And mm -hmm. when you're working with an impersonator, there is an art to detail, mm -hmm. to, to understanding the detail of a person's a personality, of the, the way they come across on screen, of their sexuality, of all those things that you've adopted to help refine your impersonation so that it really feels real. There's an art to that and a skill. And I am sure there have been times when you have put your makeup on and felt less like you wanted to be Marilyn Monroe for an hour, but you still pulled her out of your tuchus and made her come to life, right? Even then, and that's a professional. Right, had to definitely do that. What, what, what most impersonators fail to do, I think, and this is where I draw the line between impersonators and um, impersonators, is you have to make that person second, like you don't go, oh, when I do this, I look like Marilyn. The doing this has to come naturally because then you look like Marilyn because you're naturally doing it because it's second nature. You're not, right. you're not going, you're not in your head thinking about how you can be, you're, you're just doing it. My boyfriend's a, a fabulous Dean Martin impersonator. We met on a show up in Lake Tahoe. And the, the reason that I think he's so amazing is he doesn't do Dean any other way than he just does what I've always thought I did with Marilyn is channel her. So, you know, you have to, you have to make that person second nature to you. And, and when you have that person second nature, you can take pretty good liberties as well because yes. they're believing you. So you can do things that maybe I always tell people I had to bring Marilyn to the 21st century with the humor, you know, like when I do my stage shows. Mm -hmm. So you have to try to stay relevant without destroying how she was. And sometimes that's a, a you know, a mix. Uh, you have to be true to the character, true to the era. But some of my stuff that I do on stage, I make it a little snappier, if you know what I mean, because it's yes. stage. <laughs> once you, once a, a character becomes second nature, then you're able to uh, extend the character a bit more, mm -hmm. do more with the character. And that has to be a reason why you have had the success you've had in film and television. I, I have to imagine that you're not brought on set and just told to read these lines and it's done, that there is always a bit more that's asked of you and that you're able to do what's asked of you, I assume. Uh, take it this way, do it this way. Can you say this instead? Well, what if she were to do it this way or change the line to, you have to be ready with... Oh. Merit, right? You have to Am take I direction. Right? If you can't take direction, it's going to be a very long day. You know, mm -hmm. you have to take direction. Yes. And um, someone told me, they said, you do this really well, Susie. And I didn't even, they go, you listen to what the other actor is saying. And, you know, you can tell when someone goes up into their head because mm -hmm. they're no longer you can see it in their eyes. Thinking, right. You see yeah. it in their eyes, they've disappeared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of being an actor is you have to stay connected to that person because you have to believe you're actually having this conversation instead of like, what was my next line? <laughs> so, yeah, you have to really stay present with that person and you have to hear what they said instead of going, okay, my next line is, and then you're inside your head 
So I think a lot of being a good actor is, 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 again, going back to the patting the head and rubbing the stomach, you really have to do things simultaneously that are kind of difficult to do. And to your point, some of it has to be second nature. And that's, that's the skill. That's why when you do it, it looks so natural and easy, not because it's natural and easy, but because you have made it look natural and easy by the practice and the rehearsal and uh, the thinking through moments. And, you know, I assume you've seen all of her movies. Yes. I assume that you take, and, and like you just said, uh, you were talking with, I can't remember who it was, who had all the memories of, of Marilyn. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I don't remember it was Dustin. Who cares? So you were talking, <laughs> you, you know, you, he was giving you some insight mm -hmm. that, that you were taking in as somebody who has done Marilyn, right? You still felt like you could learn something about her. I still do. And get this. So for, let's talk about Nip Tuck for a second. Ryan Murphy, he's a big deal right now, right? Mm -hmm. When I went to work, when I went to read for Ryan, by the way, <laughs> out of all the people, well, first of all, the most nerve wracking thing I ever did was I went to network over Marilyn and me because you have all the network brass standing there going, right. Okay. And then I went to network. I did a, uh, a pilot that never was picked up. It would have been on, I would have had my own TV series that I started with Melinda Clark. She used to be in the OC beautiful, beautiful girl. Mm -hmm. They cast us as twins. So we played these two bimbo twins with platinum blonde hair. I wasn't Marilyn, but we had these long, anyway, I, I had to go to network for them too. And so that's probably the most, that was even more nerve wracking than, than um, Quentin Tarantino or Larry David, because they weren't judging. They were hoping that you'd be good, you know, but right. network is judging. But anyway, right. Ryan Murphy, was not easy. He's he's tough. He's tough. And um, I went in to read for him. Yeah. Um, he has a very stern face. Like he really knows what he wants. Quentin's like an actor's act uh, director. I imagine Quentin knows what he wants, but he's open to suggestion. I mean, he's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. You know, he's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Larry on, on Curb, you do improv a lot of stuff. So if something mm -hmm. works, which was very funny because Larry David would not talk to me until I did my work. It's not that he was rude. He wasn't, he wasn't like, you know who. Um, he was just, <laughs> he's busy. And I said to one of the guys, I said, oh, I'd love to um, later get a picture. He goes, yeah, after you work, after you work, Larry will be open to that. He's got to, he's got to see your work. I'm like, oh God, okay. So fortunately, oh, there's a lot of writing on this picture. Right, right. <laughs> That's not so right. oh, my oh my God. So if I suck and I don't get a picture, right. that's it. You know? That's it. <laughs> so fortunately, I got the picture. Larry David, I mean, uh, uh, Ryan Murphy was just very focused on what he wanted. And I went in for, there was two, we were playing Maryland impersonators. And I was, I went in for the other part, not the one I got. Uh, it was a little bit, smaller of a part that I went in for. And um, it was Sharon instead of Joyce. I wanted to be Sharon though, because the Joyce was the opening scene, which was the bigger part. And it was an important part, but um, I really liked that Sharon had a little bit, anyway, Sharon is more the Marilyn that I do, which is more the normal voice and not the baby doll stuff and all that. So I go in there and my, my agent calls me and she goes, well, the good thing is, is that I think you have the part, you have the part, but they want you to be Joyce, not Sharon. 
he wants to see you as Joyce. And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> because that's the, whatever do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. So I have to go do that breathy voice like that? Oh my God, I'm gonna die. So you hyperventilate. It's like, you're, you're like, <laughs> it's Marilyn. It's the really, so I had to go back and watch Gentlemen Prefer Blondes to, to relearn it. Cause you know, I, I kind of do Marilyn a little more natural than that. Oh yeah, that, and I have to do the eyebrows at the same time. Everything has to be done like this. The face is like a moving wall. It's like her eyebrows go up and her lips are moving. And so I was like, oh my God. So we're at the set. And I said to the other girl who was a friend of mine um, that did, she ended up getting the Sharon part that I auditioned for and I ended up getting the joy. So it's the big opening scene, right? And I said to her, has, has has Ryan been there? She's like, no, he hasn't come. She worked two days before I did. So all of a sudden I'm ready to do that scene with Ju oh, another, another really sweet guy, Julian, Julian McMahon. Hmm. Do you know who he is? He's is he the son of, no, it's not the son of Ed McMahon. No, Julian McMahon, I know. He's on FBI right now. There oh. is a CBS series. He's Australian. But he was the cute doctor in Nip Tuck, very sexy. He was married to, she's a big Australian star. He, he's gorgeous. When it, during Nip Tuck, he was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, he's an older man now and he has to do an American accent. So it's so weird to see him on FBI doing an American accent. But anyway, so Ryan comes and he says to me, um, Susie, you know, my vision for her, and I said, can I stop you? I said, I, I heard you. And I, I think I have prepared what you asked me to do. Can I do that? And then if you don't agree or you don't like, we can shoot it again. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. I said, okay, okay, good. Cause I, I think I have prepared what you want. I shot the scene and I never saw him again. <laughs> so I guess I gave him what he wanted. I guess you gave him what he wanted, but he didn't come and tell you. Oh no. <laughs> never saw him again <laughs> but his leaving was a sign that i gave him what he wants because i he, there's no doubt he would have been going uh no 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 we got to reshoot that so oh, i guess that's a compliment it is a compliment <laughs> and that's how i would look at it for sure <laughs> the fact that ryan never came back and talked to you again was <laughs> definitely a sign that he liked your work <laughs> in this case <laughs> he had just moved on you know it's like oh, okay she just, you know it's no big deal to him i mean because he wants what he wants but then once you give it, it's like well of course you did you're an actor you're supposed to do that <laughs> it's like the child that their parents don't work it's a child that parents don't worry about you're that you were that actor the one he didn't have to worry mm -hmm. about and he you was know? worried because that was his scene that was the big scene and he need because you know it's, it's the very beginning of the the thing the show, so it had to play right. right yeah so yeah i mean that's the compliment okay Mm -hmm. but you know some directors would have come back and said okay nailed it some don't it doesn't make them better or it, everybody's different some people just move on well you have to you can the, you, you know you're really sort of painting the picture here that when you're in this industry you really have to have a sense of self and you can't let the actions or inactions of people that you work with in that industry impact the way you feel about yourself that's that's a road that leads to nowhere fast. Mm -hmm. and you, you cannot. Yeah, you can't. you're so right. You, 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 and you have a strong sense of self. I mean, you're very humble, but you, you have worked hard for 
your success, maybe not at the beginning, but now, I mean, <laughs> to keep to keep her relevant, uh, you know, so I, I think that uh, you deserve the kudos and you don't deserve to have any more agita, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> well, you know, know Anthony, you've been around for a long time as I, I have, you. Alex, I don't, I, I mean, you know, longer than 10 years. Um, that's the, that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean, not such a I long time. <laughs> when I met you, I met you quite some time ago. You became the go-to for me. It was 20, probably 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. Right. And there was always, I mean, oh, there for, for my business, you were always the first name. Mm -hmm off of my lips always when somebody would ask for a Marilyn it was we'll call Susie there was no other one there were others wait I shouldn't say that there were others there was no one that really brought Marilyn to the party if you will like you did and that like you do uh you know it's the it's what all of the work has enabled it's bringing her to life and you do it in a way that's second nature to you so it feels real and it's anything but annoying i mean when you walk into a room you are effervescent and charming and, and uh you know people flock to you uh and that that's not only the beauty of maryland but that's the beauty of how you uh represent her and you bring her forward uh, oh, thank you. That's such a compliment. Thank you. Thank it's you. so it's true. Thank you. I've, I've been, let's put it this way. I've been able to ride this wave longer than I anticipated, shall we say? Um, mm -hmm. So I have, um, although I must say, the wave was being ridden quite well. And then the virus was like, yes. okay, is this, is this where we just get off the wave and say adios and then the phone rings and I have events coming up and my theater of shows are all rescheduling. And I'm like, okay. And you just go like this. Okay. I can get back on that horse. Mm -hmm. If, if you want me, I want you. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like exercising and, you know, fortunately I never did the COVID weight thing, but I, I in order to be show ready where you're up on that stage, there's always the scrutiny of getting into like, I, I like kind of like what an athlete does, you know, just yes. that, that extra bump of, yes. oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. A thousand people are going to be watching me at the performing arts center. Mm -hmm. I've got to make sure when I turn sideways, they don't go. Ah! Right. <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> although you are, so I'm in although Marilyn was a little round, she wasn't tiny, but. Well, you know, interesting. Anthony, that you say that. Yes, she was known for being zoftic or voluptuous, if you will. But some Marilyn fluctuated between 115 and 160 pounds. Wow. She had a 45 weight fluctuation. Early Marilyn in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and then How to Marry a Millionaire was actually skinny. Her waist was 22 inches. And then, because um, I've worn her, Debbie, okay, so I wore. Debbie Reynolds had owned several Marilyn costumes and I wore her bus stop outfit. Oh, and wow. it was tiny, tiny, 
tiny, tiny, because she was tiny during bus stop too. But then she was pregnant during Some Like It Hot. So she was quite a big girl there. And she got to become a big girl in Misfits. You know, just she was very unhappy in her marriage with mm -hmm. Arthur Miller. And she just was, so yeah, she, she, she's known for being voluptuous, but she was actually rather tiny mm. at times. Well, look at her at the end when she sang happy birthday, Mr. President. Oh my God, try fitting in that dress. Well, Alex, have you ever seen that dress? Oh my God. I, I, yeah, I've seen it. I'm now I'm gonna have to go back and, and with that perspective and really look at it. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, Anthony, I guess what, and, and th you're right. Thank you. I don't have to be a rail, um, but you know what it is? You always think to yourself, this is my philosophy. If someone's gonna hire me, I need to try to at least bring my best game that I can. It's you never let lighten up on the gas pedal. You know what I mean? You, yes. Because you're only as good as your last job. Yes. You know? Yes. And you and I know that we've seen people on jobs where we go, oh, maybe their time is over, you know, yes. and and that's a shame. Yeah. Yes. And and to your point, when people stop calling, it's a sign that your time is over. So as long <laughs> as people are calling it, uh, then you want to bring your best game, obviously. And uh, appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate that very much because, uh, you know, that's the professional and that's what turns. See, when we started in this, this world, or at least when I started in this world of events, there was a lot of kitschy kind of entertainment, but now it really is about making the experience feel authentic and real. And it necessitates having people like you who can help us to do that. Uh, when D'Angelo puts together an event and brings characters to an event, they're always made up to a T to look exactly how people would perceive they would look if they were characters in a film or you know, on a, on a stage. And that's, that's what helps people to engage is that you look real. And then mm -hmm. as an impersonator, you open your mouth and you start to move and oh my goodness, you, you seem real. That's the beauty and the magic that we wanna create. And you have to work it. I always tell people, I tell other impersonators, I'm like, you know, even if their character was sort of a low key character, I say, amp it up a little, otherwise they're gonna replace you with cardboard. You're doing what a cardboard cutout could do. You're just standing there. You have to actually take your persona and the ideas, once they go, oh, look, this is Marilyn, this is uh, Clark Gable, this is whoever it is. The idea after that is to entertain them. Right. So you have to Make step them... out of yourself, right? Yes. Don't get, yes. Otherwise, you, you might as well just get cardboard cutouts if all you're going to do is say, hi, welcome to the party. Right. You know, it's like it has to breathe life into it. I wanted to touch back on what you said. I said to my dad and my father has passed away, but I used to say to him, dad, I just don't know how long I'm going to do this. And he said, oh, honey, you'll know. And I said, how? He said, the phone won't ring. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. <laughs> I never forgot that. And it's like, thank you, dad. That's right. That's right. So, and I appreciate you. Working? We've done some great. <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. I was just saying, is this thing working? There's no <laughs> dial tone. <laughs> but you know what? I don't know about you guys. I, tell me, you know, let's just have a come to Jesus moment. Tell me the truth. <laughs> if I stopped tomorrow, I just can't be anything but grateful. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. I mean, I want to keep going because I believe idle hands are the devil. I mean, I, I really mm -hmm. think life needs purpose. I, I feel mm -hmm. like the, the purpose-driven life is, is there for a reason. I feel people need purpose. Mm -hmm. But can you be anything but happy for all the years, the great years we had? No. We've had some great opportunities, right? Travel, great people to work with, met some interesting people. Uh, it's not a, a run-of-the-mill, ordinary kind of life, for sure. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> and, and it's not always easy you know the hardest thing for me is the driving you guys yes yes I'm sure I am sure anyways <laughs> so yeah. um you do uh you learn how to put your own makeup on you, you learn how to put your own uh do your own hair right mm -hmm. and now it, that's all second nature as well now mm -hmm. I assume mm -hmm. So if you had any tips for somebody who wanted to start out, some parting words for somebody who wanted to be an impersonator in this business, what would you say to them? What, they, what should they do? Well, they really have to look at it like they've got to school themselves. So since there isn't a school for impersonators, you have to become your own advocate for what you need, what, what's important. Like you really, for instance, I studied every angle of Marilyn's face. I studied and I'm still learning little hints that she did the way, I mean, just Marilyn used to sit there for hours just to figure out how to lift an eyebrow correctly to make her eye look a certain way. She was really one of those type of people, I'm guessing under the umbrella of, um, I think they said she was possibly bipolar, but you know, that kind of focus that you can get, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you really have to focus on the details. And if you focused on the details enough, then again, your performance will become more natural because you won't be sitting there second guessing, do I look like her? So it's like, you really go to the books. You know, I would tell people study the original. Yes. Some people say, oh, I, I want to be like you. I'm like, don't be like me. I do a version of her. Mm -hmm. I'm not her. Study her and do your version of her, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Don't you think oh. though that you have something that you could pass down in terms of a teaching to those who wanted to be Marilyn I have a there are there are girls that I think are fabulous there's one that she's a friend of mine she lives in the UK her name is Susie or the Susies um she's fabulous but she she's created her own way that she does Marilyn she does it very different than me and I don't think she I don't think she has we, let me put it this way um I always love to see someone look great because I don't like to see someone who doesn't look. I mean it's it's like kind of like you, if someone's going to do what I do, I want them to be great because then I can right. go, oh, you know, and most people say, oh, right. I don't believe that because if, no, because no, it, it cheapens the art form it, when it they're not. It, it really ruins it when it's bad. I yeah, don't, yeah, I have lost so it. many jobs, right? So yeah, so I'd rather they be really good because they're not going to be me and I'm not going to be them, but they're going to be good. It's going to be, we're going to be different, but be good, you know? Right. The problem Anthony is, and people said to me, would you like to um, well, I was involved in this computer Maryland thing for a while, you know, where they do the motion capture on the face and I was going to train girls all over the world to do her and then that, and I, and I was happy with that. I was, I was happy training other, every country, Chinese, Japanese to do Maryland so they could do these uh, virtual Marylands. But unfortunately, the gentleman that, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother thing. He, he was, really? It, it, it's always oh, very interesting. Yeah. 
but I, I won't even bring it up here because it's got a lot of political and stuff. Anyway, um, he went to in prison, but oh. um, <laughs> we'll have you back. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, anyway, so we were going to do them all over the world, and that I was interested in. Anthony, you know what's happening, and Alex, in this twenty first century, the art form of impersonators is 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 seems to be diminishing. Um, mm -hmm. The millennials don't know a lot of these characters. You have no idea how they oh. they know they know Marilyn because she's an icon, but they don't know her. Right. Elvis remains an enigma, but. This, okay, let me put it this way. Millennials have tended to be the first generation that I don't see pushing this through. They're present. They wanna stay in their generation. They're interested in their situations. I'm not saying that none of them are interested in the past. I'm sure they are. I, I think they're wonderful people, but they don't seem to be as interested in the old icons. And mm. I don't think they're very interested in impersonators either. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, does make sense. They have no connectivity, no relationship at all. And uh, it's sort of what will happen when this uh, pandemic is far over and, and kids are born after it's over. They'll have no relationship to this and they won't see it the same way that we do. It's 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 why we don't learn from our mistakes. It's uh -oh. why things happen more than I mean, it's just, yeah. you know. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and we're transient now, though. Do you notice how, I mean, we're transient with our, our phones, our, our cars, mm -hmm. our, yeah. our, 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 everything is disposable. Everything is so passe. It's a year old. Oh my God. <laughs> it's everything. so old. But yeah. Right? It's, it's keeping up with the, the, the up to date, the, the up to the minute thing is impossible because it, it's constantly changing. It's, it's new today, tomorrow it's old. It's crazy. I don't and know how kids why. will do it. Yeah, I don't either. And, and, and also, I don't know if you, but I just feel very concerned that these kids are losing so much. They're saying this generation is going to fall behind. Would not, we go, you know, they're going to fall behind. We were having this discussion last week because there's so much going on in their lives. It's really hard to focus on any one thing. And they're not, they're, you know the bits of information that are constantly coming at them. I wonder how it's going to be for them to be able to focus and, you know, on one thing at a time. Yes. Yes. So, you know, going back to whether I could train anybody, um, I don't know that a lot of young girls have the interest anymore. Um, I, I just, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there was vaudeville and then there was this, and there, there are certain, things that have a, a a life expectancy or span this one spans much longer than i thought it would i still have theater shows and they're still corporate for us but um the appetite is so different that i don't know i just don't know what that demand is going to be in the next couple of years i could be surprised i hope so i don't do you see any trends i don't know i think there'll be some new trends because yeah. uh it's been a while right but I think that there'll also be people who uh, are desiring some nostalgia still. I still think we have those clients. So I don't see Marilyn as being a thing of the past, mm -hmm. not yet. I think she's still very relevant. Um, 
And, I, you know, I think that there'll be a lot of new things that come on because I agree they're looking, people are looking for new experiences and the millennials are leading that pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there will be work for you because I think that America loses its hold with tradition, but to your point earlier, Asia will not. And I think, you know, not that you want to live in Asia, but I think there will always be an appetite for a Maryland there where tradition is much more appreciated than it is here. I think there'll always be an audience for Maryland. I don't know. I don't know I how agree. big it'll be, but. I mean, I is... look at my daughter and she has interest in Marilyn Monroe and mm-hmm. Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. She loves mm-hmm. Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and she's she love my book. And here's the thing. 16. Oh, wow. And here's the thing. They're not doing it like it was done then. You know what I mean? There's not a, there isn't a, a, Marilyn has not been replaced by somebody new. No. You know? She has not. And, And the music that they sang and the way that they performed has not been replaced by something better. It's just something different. I go to my gym every day and go, what the heck is this? Right, so do I. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, um, every now and again, I go, I go, that one is good. That actually is a good song, but that's great. And, and I'm open to new music, I am, but, and I think that everybody has their own style. I'm, I'm good with that. I, I like all styles of music, but for me, I don't know you guys when Frank sings or when, you know, some of those, I just go, and there's some great songs now. There are, there, but it's different. I don't <laughs> know if to say this well. I don't know if they're songs. I don't know if you can call them songs. I feel like an old fuddy-duddy now, but. <laughs> I agree with you, Anthony. And, and yeah, um, some of them are not. They're like, what? Some of them are yeah. very much not. Yes, yes. some of them are not. <laughs> we could have a whole discussion. Yeah. When the first few words of a song are expletives, I'm like already turned off. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I know. And with, uh, you know, I'm, I look up and I see the video and I'm like going, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are your pants there? Like, okay. Well, hmm. okay. And it's so loud that I can't not hear it. So I'm just right. kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But you guys, you know, I'll leave you with this hope. Tides turn. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I know in this life is that the tides turn. Mm-hmm. The and I'm hoping, swings. yes. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm hoping for kinder, gentler, loving. Yes. Compassion, <laughs> empathy, uh, caring, community. Yeah, all I those agree. things. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And it's normal. Yeah, so... And, uh, um, and when and when we uh, we need a little Marilyn fix, we know who to call. Well, I thank you for that. I really do. It's always a pleasure. I love working for you and and Alex. Alex, did we meet in person, we, sweetheart? We have, we have not met in person. We've spoken on the phone many yes. times and communicated via email and messenger, but we've never gotten to meet. I've not been able to be at an event um, when you have performed. So I'm hoping when we return that will will actually get to me. Well, let's keep a good thought, you all, because, you know, the power of thought, all those things are very, they're powerful. So they are 100%. Let's just keep a good thought. <laughs> yes. Always thinking good thoughts when we think of you. Always. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, Thank always. You. Uh, yeah. Out of sight, but never out of mind. 
for sure. Thank you. Thank, um, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing some of those juicy tidbits with us. <laughs> Don't uh, tell Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> I will not. Well, you know, he'll ask because <laughs> he's got a ton of questions. I know. Well, oh, yeah, and I have a call scheduled for later. I'll try not to bring it up. He'll be so worried. <laughs> <laughs> That was so much fun to have Susie Griffiths with us, the yes, preeminent Marilyn Monroe impersonator. Ton of credits, uh, as you heard, worked with a ton of people and still so delightful. Very sweet, very warm. Very warm and sweet. Yeah, and it comes across. I, I don't think I've ever had a fail with Susie as Marilyn. Uh, that's She's the quintessential Marilyn and she's a beautiful person easy to work with. And as you heard, she's spent years honing her craft. She's still honing her craft. And that's really what it's about. It's about bringing life to someone, to a, to a personality and making it feel real. And uh, that's how you turn events into experiences. And that's how you engage. And she's doing it. Yes, she is. She's doing it. Yes. Any final, final words? And now I want to go and refine some of these episodes. Like I want to go refine the quantum leap and then I want to go find the Larry David. So that's, that's going to be my little bit of fun is, is looking up those episodes and rewatching them. I'd love to see those. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll be jealous that she was kissing Scott Bakula, but it's okay because I love her. I'll get over it. It's okay. Who cares? <laughs> So if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that's where we'd love you to find our podcast, but you can find us anywhere you find your podcast. Just find a podcast, find our podcast and give us five stars. Uh, and also tell us what you think. Okay. Uh, let us know. We're dying to hear from you. Just go to Bellata.com and look for the Bellata.fi tab and let us know what you think. Uh, if you have a thought for the show, if you think we're full of uh, bukkake, then let us know, and we'll we'll uh, you know we'll share your thoughts. Uh, that's it for us for now. Uh, we enjoyed being with you today, and we hope you enjoyed being with us. We'll catch you next time. Bye bye.